You are listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast by The Crossing on how to live into God's bigger story. Hi, welcome to A Bigger Life. I am Dave Cover, and we're going to look today at Psalm 50. It's an interesting psalm because it is both comforting and sobering. Sometimes we need to be comforted in particular, and then there are some times that we need to be sobered. It's a weird thing because when I really truly get sobered in a way that causes me to remember who God is and causes me to repent of some ways that I've been either just oblivious to God or ignoring God, forgetting God and going about my way, when I get sobered by the reality of God, it causes me to repent and to to change, to remember the ultimate importance of God in my life, and that leads to comfort. I remember one time I preached a sermon years ago that was kind of uh, really focusing on the sobering reality of who God is. And the drummer on our worship team was in the congregation during the sermon, and he came up to me after the sermon, he had a big smile on his face, a real kind of a peaceful smile. And he said, it's weird how sometimes I see the holiness of God that leads to us being you know, convicted in my life, but it's almost a joyful conviction. It's almost like I feel joy from it. And I think he really captured, I think what real repentance is, is a joyful, sobering, it's a joyful conviction Joyful in a way that it's not like a high five kind of joy, but there's a real peace to the fact that I I remember now who God is. I remember that I I want to acknowledge Him and I want to live for Him. And it's a, there's a joy to putting away sin. There's a joy to changing the direction of our life back to God. And I really think that's what Psalm 50 does. It kind of brings a joy of remembering who God is. And changing some things in our life to where we we turn back to God. And I need both comfort and sobering in my life all the time. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. So this is kind of what Psalm 50 is going to be. We're going to be humbled, I think, if we get the message of Psalm 50. We're not going to do the whole thing. We're going to do the parts that we want to pray and parts that we want to meditate on. Peter says, to humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Get get sobered by the fact of who God is so that he can lift you up. The only way you're going to be exalted is to is to humble yourself, Jesus says. Humble yourself and you'll be exalted, but try to exalt yourself and, well, you'll be humiliated. You'll be humbled. So Peter says the same thing. Peter spent three years with Jesus and Jesus, of course, is God. And Jesus is saying the same thing that Psalm 50 is saying, and that is it's better to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand so that he can exalt us rather than having God's mighty hand have to humiliate us because of our pride. Now, I read that verse in 1 Peter because I really do think it it gives us a New Testament kind of perspective of this 3,000-year-old psalm in the Bible, Psalm 50, because it's telling us that we are in this drama where there is a force of evil, he is an enemy, and he is trying to destroy us. He uses the metaphor of a lion trying to isolate its prey so it can devour it. And Peter is talking about this is what is very real in your story. So humble yourselves 
therefore under God's mighty hand so that he can lift you up in due time. Don't try to exalt yourself. Don't live your life trying to be your own God, your own direction, your own Lord, your own leader, but humble yourself under the hand of God and cast all your anxiety on him. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. And God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself make you strong, firm, and steadfast forever and ever. So let's go back to Psalm 50 now and take a look at what this psalm says. I'm going to read a few verses, not the whole thing. But verse 1 just starts right off with who God is. The Mighty One, God the Lord. I think that's what Peter had in mind when he said, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The Mighty One. God, the Lord, all caps L-O-R-D, which means it's translating that Hebrew name for God, Yahweh, the I Am. The Mighty One, God, the I Am, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. In other words, all creation. God is speaking and God is summoning. I love that word summoning. He has called. He has summoned. He's calling me to come forward. The question is, will I listen to God when he speaks? Will I, will I come when he calls? When God is summoning me by his word, will I listen and will I respond to God? Verse 2, out of Zion, out of this presence of God, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. God shines forth. Can you? This is, again, a, a poem, and we have to use our imagination We use our imagination whenever it talks about the perfection of beauty. Out of the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of God shining forth out of the perfection of beauty. Have you imagined that? Have you imagined the beauty of God? The shining forth of God. Now, I think of the universe whenever I really want to think of the ultimate glory and shining forth and beauty of God. All the suns of the universe, all the stars of the universe in their, in their balls of fire are created by God. So the shiningness of God, the burning shining of God is infinitely greater than the entire galaxies of the universe combined. Whatever beauty comes to your mind with whatever you've seen in his creation that is beautiful... God created it, and so his beauty is infinitely greater. Out of God's throne, out of God's presence, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. What comes to your mind? Think of God shining forth in the perfection of beauty. Verse 3, our God comes. He does not keep silent. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. Now, this is the sobering part. The author of this psalm, it's not David, it's a psalm of Asaph, it says. He was someone who was a worship leader in the time of David. And he is writing this psalm in a way that is bringing a lot of word pictures, a lot of things for us to use our imagination. And this is a sobering image of God shining forth not only in beauty, but God shining forth as a devouring fire. Now, you love to sit around, like I do, a campfire, and your eyes stare at the fire. And you're staring at the fire because it has two things about it. There's a beauty to fire. There's a beauty 
when a fire is controlled. I mean, there's not a beauty to a fire that's destroying something, but there's a beauty to looking at a fire, a campfire. And there's also a burn to it. It's burning something, and it is dangerous. A fire is something that is not tame, and so there's a beauty to it, and there's a burn to it. And I think that's the image here that the psalmist wants us to have, like the sun. Like the sun has a beauty to it, especially if you can look at the sun at a very low sunset or a very low sunrise, and you can kind of look at it without hurting your eyes, and it has this glow to it that's incredibly beautiful. Or right after it sets and you see its light fill the sky with color. There's a beauty to it, but the sun obviously is unbelievably destructive because there is a burn to it. And that is who God is. He is a God of infinite beauty, but he is not safe. He burns when there is impurity. He is holy. And so that he says around him is a mighty tempest. That's a fearful storm. Think of a storm coming from the west and you're seeing it come and it has this wall cloud that is filling the sky as it comes forward to you. And there's a sense of a tempest. There's a sense of this is a fearful coming presence. This is the image the psalmist wants us to have of God. Think of it in your imagination. God coming in a wall cloud of a tempest storm. God being a devouring fire, a fire that is filled with beauty if you just look at it, but it's also a fire that has incredible destructive power to it to burn what is impure. This is the image the psalmist wants us to have of God. It's comforting to some degree, but it's mostly sobering. And that's a good thing because we need to be sobered. So verse 3, our God comes. He does not keep silent. He's spoken. He's continuing to speak. He does not keep silent. Before him is a devouring fire. There is a beauty to it, but there is a seriousness to it. Around him is a mighty tempest, this storm that's coming. God is not tame. God is not safe, as C.S. Lewis says in his Aslan Chronicles of Narnia thing. He's good, but he's not safe, but he is good. This is the God that Scripture is trying to help you see, that God is not a God to mess with. He's not a God to play around with. He's unbelievably beautiful and glorious and loving and good, but he is also holy, and he is a God not to be messed with. He's the God that created this universe. He's not a God to be toyed with. So the psalmist is trying to sober us, wake us up, help us to remember, to repent. If we've forgotten God, become oblivious and sort of living our life as if it's no big deal. He's just an old man in the sky, no big deal. This is not the God of Psalm 50. This is not the God of the Bible. And so verse 5, God says this, Gather to me my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Now, this is a thousand years before Christ. We ultimately know, and this is what the Bible teaches in the New Testament, particularly in the book of Hebrews, chapter 9, chapter 10, that Christ has become the sacrifice by which we have a covenant with God. God is... God is the one who made a covenant with us, and he's also the one who fulfilled that covenant by the life of Christ, the righteous life of Christ, and the sacrifice, the offering of Christ. Christ himself has become the offering that Hebrews 10 says, by one offering, he has made holy for all time, forever, 
those who are being made holy through him. So there's a process in our life where we're being made holy. We're, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another as we contemplate the Lord's glory. That's this being made holy part of our lives. But the reason why we're being made holy is because God has already made us holy by, in Christ, making us holy. He has already perfected us. He has already qualified us. He has already taken away our sin by Christ on the cross, and he has given us the righteousness of Christ. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. So we want to read the Old Testament, and we want to read these Psalms with the New Testament in mind, with the gospel in mind, with the rest of the story in mind, with Jesus in mind. And so God has made a covenant. It's correct to say God has made a covenant with us that we have responded to. We have responded to his summons. By the sacrifice of Christ. We come to God by the sacrifice of Christ. That's our sacrifice that allows us to come into the presence of God and the fire of God without being incinerated. Gather to me my faithful ones, God says. The ones who believe in me, that's the idea. I want to be a faithful one. I think you do too. That's why you're listening to this. Verse 6, the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. The universe itself, righteousness is at the very fabric of all creation, that God is the God who created this universe, and he is the God that everything in this universe is accountable to, and he is righteous, and he expects righteousness of us. And so that's the psalm is saying. The heavens itself, you look up at the sky, you look at the universe, and that itself is the demonstration of the God who is righteous and the God that you're accountable to. This is sobering. Verse 7, after he basically says, look at the universe, don't mess with God, don't mess with the Creator. God says, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I am your God, your God. Remember, we are Israel. We are the descendants of Abraham in Christ, the ultimate seed of Abraham. The New Testament says we have become Israel. And so God is saying to you, if you're in Christ, if Christ is the covenant you have with God, by his sacrifice for you, because you trust in him, you have aligned yourself with him, you want him to be your king, then God is your God. God of the universe is your God. The forever God is committing himself, has committed himself in Christ forever. The forever God is your God forever. So this is both comforting because when God says, I am your God, that means the forever God is my God forever. That is an unbelievably comforting thing. There'll never be a time when God is not my God and faithful to me and protecting me and holding me and never letting me go. He is committed to me. At the same time, it's sobering because this God is not a God to be messed with. He's a God who is speaking, and he says in verse 8, Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. I'm not, I'm not upset with your sacrifices. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. In other words, they are bringing their sacrifices. This is before Jesus. The way they demonstrated their worship of God was these foreshadowing acts of sacrificing that would ultimately point to and ultimately be fulfilled by Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross. But verse 9 I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves on the ground in the field is mine. 
Here's what God is saying. I, I don't need your sacrifices. And if you're going to bring them to me out of just doing religious duty, but you're not really listening to what I say, I'm not interested. But, verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving. This is a like Romans 1 says, that the when he talks about the sin of people, is that they did not glorify God or give thanks to him. They did not acknowledge him any longer. This is what we don't want to have happen in our life. We don't want to fail to acknowledge God and to give thanks to him. It's something we have to remember to do because we're naturally ungrateful, discontented, entitled people. And we need to remember God is the God that every moment of our life comes from him. He's the one that gives us our heartbeat. He's the one that gives us our breath. He's the one that gives all life because he is the I am. We are utterly dependent upon him as our creator. And we give thanks to him for his mercy. We give thanks to him for his blessings. We give thanks to him for the good things that he brings in our life when we don't deserve it because we have rebelled against him. We don't deserve his grace. We don't deserve his mercy. We don't deserve his love. And yet he brings it and he has sacrificed for us and brought us into this eternal glory in Christ, this eternal story where the forever God is our God forever. And when we really understand what God has done for us, it should lead to a sense of incredible gratitude and appreciation. And he says in verse 15, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. This is the story we've been brought into, his eternal glory, because he will deliver us. He has delivered us in Christ. So God gives us a healthy warning in verse 22, last two verses here, verses 22 and 23. Mark this then, you who forget God. This is what God says. Would you just, would you stop forgetting me? Mark this then, you who forget God. Not paying attention to God, not, not acknowledging God, being oblivious to him. Mark this then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. What? What did God just say? Lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. Now, we don't like to hear that, but this is something that we have to at least be sobered by. Look, here's what God is saying. Yes, I have brought you into this eternal covenant through Christ, but don't take it for granted. Don't become oblivious. And live life as if you owe me nothing. Stop forgetting me. Start acknowledging me. Acknowledging the God who has saved you, the God who is a fire and a tempest. And stop forgetting me. Pay attention. Because I could always give you what you deserve. Verse 23, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. In other words, you're still in this race. Don't quit. To the one who orders his way rightly. In other words, the one who has regard for me, remembers me, and makes necessary changes so that you are submitting to me as your king. Remember what the New Testament says in Philippians 2.12. Continue to work out your salvation with fear. And trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So here's what Paul is saying look, continue to work out, not work for, but work out. You already have salvation. Continue to work it out in your life with a sense of fear and trembling. That's what Psalm 50 is telling us. 
This is what the New Testament says as well. Work out. Let your salvation work out in your life with a sense of fear and trembling. And here's why. For it's God that's working in you. God's the one that makes you want to respond in faithfulness. God's the one who makes you want to respond in repentance. It's God who is working in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we want to respond. These these seem like paradoxes to us, but we want to respond to it. It's God who is giving us the desire to be sobered by the reality of who he is, and we acknowledge him, and we repent. We order our way rightly so, so that we can have the salvation of God. And the only reason why we order our way rightly is because we already have the salvation of God. That's just the way it works. It's a mystery. We don't understand it. But this psalm is meant to sober us in a way that reminds us so that we order our way rightly according to who God is. And we experience a comfort in that as well, because God is our God. The forever God is our God forever. All right, let's finish this up through prayer. Let's focus on now coming before God. Let's think of God as we come before him and think of his beauty and think of the burn of his fire and the fear of his tempest, the mighty one, God, the I am. As we come before his presence, the God that created this universe, the God that created you and gives you life and holds your molecules together right now and keeps you alive, even though you don't deserve it in many ways, you don't live your life acknowledging him. That's true for all of us. I'm not picking on you. I don't even know you. I'm just speaking to you by knowing myself. God in his mercy and his grace continues to keep us alive, and yet he is not a God to take for granted. He is not a God to be trivial with. He is not a God to mess with. Psalm 50 is reminding us of who God really is and helping us to understand why we should give thanks for his grace and why we should give thanks for his mercy and for his love and for speaking to us and for summoning us and being gracious to us and inviting us into this eternal story of his glory. Remember verse 15, I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. We shall glory in his glory. So let's pray to God, O oh God, mighty God, the God that created this entire universe, the I am, the giver of life, the source of all that exists, the one who is infinite, infinitely always in the present tense and infinite everywhere without being any less anywhere else, infinitely right now present with me, fully present with me without being absent anywhere else. Mighty God, the mighty one, the Lord, you speak and you summon all the earth and I want to hear and I want to come. I want to hear your word. I want to listen to you speak and I want to respond to your summon. And I want to come before you because you are the God who shines forth in the perfection of beauty, a beauty that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, no heart ever imagined, a beauty you have prepared for those who love you. The God who has created this universe is a God of infinite beauty and a God who shines forth Before you is a devouring fire and around you is a mighty tempest. You are a God who has both the beauty and the burn 
of a raging fire and you are not to be messed with. You come and you are not keeping silent. You are speaking and I see that as your grace that you are speaking to me. Speaking to my soul, speaking to my spirit, speaking to my heart, summoning me into your glorious presence. And I give thanks to you that you have made a covenant with me by sacrifice of Christ on the cross so that I can come before your fiery presence without being incinerated. I can come before you in the righteousness of Christ. Not my own righteousness. I don't dare try to come in my own righteousness. But I come before you in your righteousness, Jesus. The righteousness of Jesus that covers all my sin and gives me his righteousness. And so I want to hear you speak. The heavens declare your righteousness. And I don't want to ignore it. The universe itself declares your infinite power and your infinite righteousness. And I do not want to forget. I do not want to not acknowledge, but I want to acknowledge both your beauty and also your sobering burn of the God that created this universe is righteous and holy. You are my God. You have committed yourself to be my God. I worship you as my God. I seek you first as my God. I trust you first and most as my God. I align myself with you because you are my God. I submit to you because you are my God. I trust in you because you are my God. I acknowledge that only because of you do I exist, only because of your will do I exist, that you give me life and you sustain my life because you are my God and you commit yourself to be my God forever, my forever God and my God forever. You have come for me and died for me and broken through the other side and risen from the dead for me to bring me into your eternal glory, to bring me into your eternal story. I have no idea what that means, except I know that it's filled with glory and wonder and beauty and love and goodness and joy beyond what I have ever experienced or imagined. But I don't want to take it for granted God, show me where I need to wake up and be sobered. Show me where I am forgetting you, oblivious to you, not acknowledging you. So I offer to you, God, a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It's no sacrifice at all. I would spend eternity giving thanks to you for your mercy, for your grace, for your love, for your goodness for giving me joy when I don't deserve it, for giving me life when I don't deserve it, for being a God who is committed to a kind of love I have never experienced on earth, and yet I take it for granted. Forgive me, but I give thanks to you for your love. I give thanks to you for your mercy and your grace. I give thanks to you for your blessings for all eternity. I give thanks to you that you are with me. I give thanks to you that I can cast all my cares upon you because you care for me in every detail of my life.
I give thanks to you that you will deliver me from every evil deed. You will deliver me from every trouble and you will bring me safely into your heavenly kingdom where I will glory in your glory. And so I give thanks to you. I am grateful to you. And I give praise to you. And I read this last verse, the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. Oh God, I want to order my way rightly. I want to work out the salvation you've given me with fear and trembling because it is your spirit that is at work in me to will and to act for your good purpose. It is your Holy Spirit that gives me a desire to acknowledge you, to repent, to serve you. It is your Holy Spirit at work in me so that I will work out my salvation that you've given me. And I want to do that with my life today. Today, I want to work out the salvation you've given me and to be sobered by the reality of your presence in me and with me and to will and to act according to your good and glorious purpose. And I pray that you would enable me to do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to A Bigger Life, a podcast of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give it a rating so people can find this content more easily or consider texting it to a friend or posting it on social media. Thanks for listening.